Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, number 1, we're going to be reading here today. Over the last year, let me just pull my clock up here so I can see, I like to see. Uh, Over the last year, we have looked um, a lot at this idea of unity, amen? Uh, I, I think I, from what I can tell, the Lord sent probably about 15 messages previously to me or so, 15 or 16 on this concept of unity, uh, and we made it our, our sort of theme for the year, amen? Dwelling together in unity from Psalm 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And uh, we spent a lot of time in the first uh, seven or eight verses of this chapter of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read down through those today. But today the Lord kind of put a thought on my heart from a latter part of this chapter uh, where he, he even continues that thought of unity uh, in an interesting way. We kind of touched on a little bit of it in Sunday school this morning. And if the Lord will help us, I want to show it to you what the Lord showed me this morning in my study uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, therefore, the prisoner of the I, I therefore, excuse me, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now we we've talked about those three verses extensively uh, over this last year. And it always stands out to me there in verse number 3 how that Paul, uh, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, wrote that if you're going to keep the peace and you're going to keep the unity, it's going to be an endeavor. And an endeavor is something that takes a lot of work. Amen? Uh, now, have y'all, have y'all noticed in life some people are easy to get along with? Have y'all noticed in life that some people are not so easy to get along with? Amen? That your personality and their personality, that something about you and them just doesn't jive, and other people get along with them just fine, but from your perspective, this one and, and that one, it's like you, you know, they're just, it just seems to be easier to have disunity than it is to have unity. That's part of human nature. Amen. Some people are just more likable, amen, than others. I'm not going to point anybody out. It's you know, like, what's he about to say? Amen. Some would say that I'm more likable than my wife. But some would say that my wife is more likable than me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> How'd y'all like that? Some of y'all thought, oh, no, he's dead. He just died. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. It's all about your perspective and your personality. Some people's personalities jive and some don't. But just because you and them don't exactly jive does not excuse you from being in unity with them. You can say amen to that. Amen. Even if we don't necessarily like the way that feels, the way that sounds, it is scriptural, isn't it? that we are all one body in Christ and all members of the same, and therefore we must be in unity one with another. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 John 
that if you don't love your brother, the love of God's not in you. Amen. So I love them, I just can't stand them. <laughs> That's not exactly how it works. Amen. We have to endeavor to keep the unity. We have to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. And it takes work. You ever just wanted to haul off and slap somebody? Can I be the first to say this morning, I have, I have felt the desire to slap someone before. None of you all, of course, never. But the people in my life, amen, especially family and friends you know real well, and they do something crazy, and you just want to slap them, amen? That's, that's my dad coming out in me. Some of you all know him a little better. But we have to work at not hauling off and slapping people. And we have to work at loving them and keeping peace with them and unity, amen? Because sometimes people run off at the mouth and say something they shouldn't because we're human. Sometimes people forget you and they don't give you uh, the attention you thought you deserved or that you wanted or, or whatever. People make mistakes and people do things, especially me. I am constantly apologizing. Ask my wife. I'm a professional apologizer. Amen. Because it takes work to keep peace and unity. And God's people have to keep peace and unity. If we want to serve God, we want to please God, we've got to. Amen. Verse number four, there is one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And we spent many weeks in those verses. Verse number seven, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now let me mention, the only way that we can keep peace and unity is by the grace of God. Hallelujah. That's why those of us who are so weird in our own ways can come together and be a family is because it is by the grace of God that He's brought us together, making us new creatures, that we can be knit with people that if we did not share the same God, we may never have been knit with. Amen. I know some people in my life that, that we're so different in so many ways, but the Lord has brought us together because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that that is a gift and it is grace from God. Verse 8, Wherefore He saith, when He ascended up on high... He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Thank God for that. Now that, now that He ascended, what is, what is it but that He also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Speaking about Jesus. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens and that He might fill all things. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we, be, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body, that's us, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. It said this, the whole body is fitly joined together. That's unity. When something is fitly joined together, it's brought together fitly. Fitly meaning it's, it's organized and it's tightly packed. Amen. Any of y'all ever tried to build an igloo? If you don't get it tightly packed and fitly joined and framed, 
It's all just going to fall down on your head. Amen? The same thing is true for every structure and every building. And in the Bible, and in this passage specifically, the Lord has given us an example of how that we are one thing built together and fitly joined together, and that as such, we are God's building. And this morning, I want to speak on this topic and preach, if the Lord will help me, on the unity of this building. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for your many blessings, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've been so good to us. Thank you, Lord God, that you've given us grace, Lord, that you've given us love and mercy. God, thank you, Lord, that your mercy endures forever, God, Lord, that you you never run out of mercy for us, God, when we fail and when we slip up, and God, that when we are foolish, Lord, that you are long-suffering toward us. God, thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for sending your Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit, Lord, for speaking to us in the singing. And God, I pray now, if you would, please help me to preach this message as you've delivered it to my heart, deliver it to these people, and help us to grow thereby. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. In endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, we understand that it takes work to knit our hearts together, and that it is a work of the Spirit. Amen. It is the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and that that unity comes only through the power of the Holy Ghost, that the Holy Ghost in me and the Holy Ghost in you will work in us to bring us together. Amen that you and I can get along and love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, closely, jointly, fitly brought together because of the Holy Ghost in you and the Holy Ghost in me. That that is why it's possible. But that just because the Holy Ghost is in Brother Tim and the Holy Ghost is in me doesn't mean that we're going to get along. We've got to endeavor. But the fact is, if we want to please God with our lives and as a church, as this church, I mean, this building, these these people here today in this congregation that are saved and a part of the body of Christ, in order for us to please God, we must have unity. Amen. We've established it through many, many services and many sermons. The Lord has shown us all through the Word of God and how that we are to be brought together in one and that if we have disunity, that one of the things that God hates is discord amongst the brethren. Amen. We know that to be true. And yet, because of the cares of life, often things do get in the way, and there is some disunity that creeps in here and creeps in there. And that's why this morning we must take a moment, because our theme has been unity, and ask ourselves, has there been times, have there been times in this year, 2021, where the devil and the flesh and things have caused in your heart or in your mind disunity toward someone else in the church? Sure. That's just the way it is. That's just humanity. Amen? I say dumb things all the time, and so do you. And when we do, sometimes people get their feelings hurt. And guess what? Sometimes we don't even know it. But what we have to do is endeavor that on our part that we will follow the Holy Ghost. That when something creeps up and tries to hurt my feelings, you know what I'm going to try to do? I'm going to try to endeavor to always give a brother the benefit of the doubt. Amen? I'm going to endeavor, and and the way we want to look at that here in this chapter is really outlined uh, very well by the Apostle Paul first, is we're looking at this unity of the building. We must understand uh, why this is a building and why we must have unity within it. Let's look at these verses. In verse number 7 down through verse number 10, we see the preeminence of our builder. And that word preeminence is one that's thrown around a lot in churches and by preachers and stuff. 
And really what that means, someone who has the preeminence is someone who is better. Amen? Someone who is above and superior. There is only one who is above and superior, and that is our builder. And the builder of this building is Jesus Christ. Verse number 7, every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. That it is Christ who gives grace. It is Christ who gives gifts. His gifts, as the builder, are gracious gifts. Amen. That's what it said there. It said that according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me uh, by the effectual working of His power in Ephesians 3, 7, how that I was made a minister. I was put in the ministry because of the grace of God and that the Lord gives to each severally according to His will by His grace. Did you know that you're not deserving of any gift from God? Amen. Did you know that? Because I can tell you, I'm certainly not. I am undeserving of the gifts that I've been given by God. I know that because of how I treat Him and His gifts. Amen. I believe that music is a gift that God gives to us, and He gifts certain people with a musical ability. And can I tell you, nothing is more saddening than seeing someone take that spiritual gift that God has given them and to waste it on themselves and riotous living. Many of y'all have heard of the, uh, the singer, beautiful singer, uh, Whitney Houston. Y'all know Whitney Houston? Uh, and she passed away some years back now. It's been a while now. She died um, because of a drug overdose, I believe it was. And she, di- she died after living a life that was torn up with drug addiction and, and being in terrible situations. So I, I believe she was, there was a big publicity thing about how that she was married to a man who beat her and all these terrible things. I mean, her life was, was filled with trouble. She was wealthy, very wealthy. And her life was filled with trouble. And did you know that she started off as a gospel singer? Did you know that when she died and they were beginning to have her funeral that her home church put out a statement that they let the world have her for all these years, but now they were bringing her back home to them. You know what a sad, sad statement that is? That God gifted that woman with such a gift. I mean, can we agree she was gifted? And she wasted it the majority of her life. A gift that God gave her in His grace. One that she shown that just like many of us, she was not deserving of that gift, just like none of us are, because she was human, but she allowed the devil and the world to steal away from her the blessing of using those gifts to glorify God. Because did you know that the purpose of your life is to give God glory? Amen. The purpose of your life is to give God glory. And whether that be with your musical ability, or whether it be with your organizational skills, or whether it be with, with this gift or that gift, and some have an eye for decoration, and some have a, an, a, an eye for numbers and an understanding of those things. And we're all given gifts by God, uh, propensities for certain things and abilities. And can I tell you today that every one of those was given to you for one reason, and that's to give God glory. To glorify God and the furtherance of the gospel and the furtherance of His glory. That is it. And these gifts are gifts of grace. And that is why Paul said he was made a minister, because of the gift of the grace of God. We understand that his gifts are gracious. We understand that his going was gracious. In verse 8 it said, Wherefore he saith when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up 
far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So what's that talking about? It's talking about how that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died, descended first. The Bible tells us that Jesus descended into the depths of the earth. And another place says that he took the keys of death and hell. You know what that means? When Jesus died, he literally descended into hell and then ascended. Why? To take captivity captive. And by taking captivity captive, he sets you free. Amen. Thank God that he went. Amen. Thank God that he went, that his going was gracious. He could have called it off at any moment. You know that, right? That when they began to beat him with that cat of nine tails, he could have said, that's enough. When they mocked him and they spit on him, he could have said, that's enough. When they struck him on the face and they pulled the hair from his cheeks, he could have said, that's enough. When they cried out, let his blood be on us and our children, and they mocked him and chose a murderer over him, he could have said, that's enough. When he was trying to march to the cross and couldn't carry it because of the weakness in his physical body and they had to call another man, he could have said, that's enough, but he never did. And after the first nail, he didn't say that's enough. And after the second, he didn't say that's enough. He never said a word as a sheep before his shears, as a lamb before his shears. He's silent. He kept his mouth silent. All the way, enduring the shame, the Bible says. Even the death of the cross. You know the death of a cross was considered the most shameful death in that time? The perfect Lamb of God did all that. Became like you and me. Why? Grace. That's what Ephesians tells us in chapter 2. Chapter 2 verse 4 says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look at this, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Jesus was a carpenter by trade, but he was more than just a carpenter. He was a builder of lives, a builder of men and women. And you and me, we're His workmanship. And not only are we as individuals His workmanship, but this church is His church. Amen. This church is His building. It's His workmanship. It's what He's doing. We see the preeminence of our builder. Then we see the production of our builder. He's the master. Well, what's He working with? Well, verse 11 in our passage here in Ephesians chapter 4 says he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. We just read and we understand that as, he is, as we're looking at this verse in verse 11 and there in verse 10 of chapter 2, how the word is workmanship, we understand that God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit together, they use us. What are his building materials? Me and you. We're rocks and boards. That's us. That's what we are. We're His workmanship. He is building a spiritual building. As the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, so is He using us, 
the temples of His, of His Holy Ghost to build His church. You and me, we're the building blocks of the church. That's what we are. You and me, we're His building. We are His workmanship. And as such, He should be working in us and working on us, as the old song says, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took Him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. Amen? That's us. We are His workmanship. Michelangelo, that that great artist, that sculptor who sculpted uh, that statue of David and is so well known, uh, there was was an event told in history of once where he was working on a shapeless stone that would become some great beautiful work of art, no doubt, as someone approached him and asked him what he was doing as he chipped away at this stone, and he replied, I'm liberating an angel from this stone. And that is exactly what God is trying to do with you. Because you know what you are? Dirt. You're just dirt held together. And one day, if the Lord tarries is coming, and the rapture don't happen, and we leave the way of the grave, our bodies will once again return to that dirt until He calls them out in the end. And that's the way it's going to be. We're just dirt. But if we'll let that dirt come into the hands of the master builder, He can make something beautiful out of it. He can make something wonderful out of it. So much that the Bible says that old things pass away. Behold, all things are become new. That if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That literally, you don't look, talk, walk, or sound the same once you get your life into the hands of the master builder, Jesus Christ. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. But not only are we His workmanship, that with His hands He is crafting us and making us, but we are His workmen. He expects us to become workers. Did you know that? That once we have been brought into this building and brought into unity with the other parts of the building, you and me, and you and one another, that then it is our job to begin helping with the building? Amen. It's a two-sided metaphor that the Lord is using here as He's showing it to us. In Ephesians 2.10, He said this, Where's workmanship? He's working on us. He's creating us. He's crafting us. And we are created in Christ Jesus. What for? Unto good works. That which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. So those who say, well, once you're saved, you're good, and and you've done all you're meant to do, and God doesn't expect you to be holy, and and God doesn't expect you to do this or to do that, and you've been saved, and you're sanctified, and you're good, and you just live your truth and live your life. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible said when He saves us, He creates us in Christ Jesus, a new creature. Old things passed away. All things have become new. And now that you've been created a new creature, you're created for one reason, and that reason is for good works that He has ordained before Before He ever saved you, He ordained that once you're saved, I want you to walk in good works. Amen. That we are as workmen. That God uses men. That is why in Ephesians 4.11, the gifts He's giving are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers because He's putting the work on the workmanship. You understand that? He's working on me to make me what I ought to be so that I can then go and continue His work. Amen. That's the purpose of the building. We see that we are His workmen. In verse 12 of our, of, of our text verses, said this, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 
We see the, not only the preeminence of the builder and the production of the builder, we see the progression of the building. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, edifying the body of Christ, we see that God has a purpose for us, and that is, as we have often said through these sermons on unity, that we are to have a heart and a mind for edification. Do you all remember what that word edify means? It means to build. Specifically, to build up. It's the opposite of tear down. Amen? That's what it is. It's the opposite of tear down. It's to build up. And Jesus is a builder. Amen? He's a builder. Jesus didn't destroy the law. He fulfilled it. He didn't tear it down. He finished it, signed it with a little signature there at the end, closed it up, and then started giving us grace. That's what He did. Because He's not a destroyer. He's a builder. Amen. That's what Jesus is. And that's what we are meant to be. Builders. Especially when it comes to this building that is the church, that is God's work, that is what He is fitly framing us together to be. Amen. That our job, our progression, what we are meant to be doing, if we are making progress for God, then we are edifying. We're building up. We're doing the work of God. It literally says that Christ has sent His servants with gifts for the purpose of building up the church. And I don't have time. I, I, I could preach a whole message, probably a series of messages, on verse number 12. But there, you can look at that right there and see that God's design for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ is for the betterment of the church. The perfecting of the saints. That happens at church. That's where the saints are. They're at church. The work of the ministry. You know where we do a lot of our ministering? Right here in the church. Ministry is preaching and giving the gospel and that work of the ministry, that's what that is. And going forth and trying to build the church by ministering unto others. Amen. And then the edifying of the body of Christ. You know where a lot of your building up happens? Right here. The church is so important. I know that the world is trying to make it of no importance. And I'm not saying this because of the political ramifications, but the church is absolutely necessary. It is essential. That's a hot word, isn't it? It is 100% essential. You can't live without the church. You certainly can't live for God without the church. The edifying of the church, the establishing of the church. In verse 13, 14, he said, "...till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." He's talking about maturing as a Christian and being united in our faith because of our knowledge of Jesus and the measure of who He is that we should measure ourselves by His stature. Amen. And then we see verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. My young children from one day to the next believe this, and then tomorrow they believe that, and then the next day they believe this. My daughter is constantly asking, is this real? Is that real? Is Spider-Man real? You know, stuff like that. Is this real? Because in her mind, truth is constantly in flux right now. Many of the things she sees, is that real or is that not? And what's this and what is that? But there comes a point as a Christian where you should stop doing that. Amen. You should no longer be tossed to and fro. Every time you hear somebody say some crazy thing about doctrine or, or about a way of life or a way of this or a way of that, you shouldn't always go, huh, well, you know what, I kind of like the sound of that. That You know, well, you know what, they're right. I don't, I don't have to go to church to, to be a Christian. 
Well, the problem is that disagrees with the Bible. And there are always winds of doctrine. You know what they are? They blow through. And in a few years, they'll blow through again. At this time, there were winds of doctrine about how that the Gentiles needed to become Jews so that they could be Christians. That's foolish. Made sense to the Jews because they liked the way it sounded. But it was foolish. And there got to, there's got to come a point in your life as a Christian. That's why we've been doing the Sunday night sermons on, on the basic Bible doctrines and sound doctrine of the Bible. There's got to come a point where you understand the truth of the Word of God to the point that you're not blown about with every wind of doctrine. I know we're on live stream. I, I, I wouldn't want to cause any issue. I won't say any names or anything. But there is a certain, a certain pastor somewhere in the U.S. who made it his decree, public, it's not a secret thing, I'm not familiar with the guy. I've never listened to a message he preached. I, only, I really only know his name and about his ministry. But he started taking some strong stands on some heretical doctrines that were not scriptural. But he became so convinced in his own mind that they were true that he began eliciting people within his church to move across the country, infiltrate other churches, and to begin sneakily implementing these ideas amongst the congregation. In 2020 and 2019. Like literally, it's going on right now. I have a friend I was talking to, uh, a pastor I was up at his camp meeting last month in November one day, uh, and uh, he told me he had a family come into his church from that church. And when he confronted them, they told him, yes, we are from this church, and that's why we're here. He said, okay. He got up and preached, and after he preached, they left and never came back. <laughs> Amen. I think they, they learned that it wasn't going to work there. There are people, as this verse says, well, surely no one would do that. Look at the verse. The slight of men in cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. The Bible says we are battling against spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities and powers, and spirits, uh, seducing spirits, the Bible calls them. People who are deceived by false doctrines that don't line up with the Word of God, but they become so infatuated with them, they begin to try and seduce others with false doctrines and lies. Amen? The world is eat up with it. God's people need to get established. To establish is to set it in place so that it won't move. You know that song, I shall not be, I shall not be moved? I think some people misinterpret it and they think it means when the preacher preaches, I ain't going to move. That's not what it means. What it means is, I know what the truth is. I'm planted by the waters. That's the Word of God. That's Jesus Christ. And no matter what happens, I'm not moving. And that's how we need to be. Amen. Amen. We need to be established in the church. And then the endearment of the church in verse 15 says this, Speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him, in who? In Jesus Christ. Talk about the fullness of Christ in verse 13. Speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You know, it's interesting that he so specifically says, speaking the truth in love. Because something, especially as independent Baptists, that we're really good at sometimes is speaking the truth. We're not always good about doing it with love. Amen? Sometimes we like to speak the truth because we like to <clears throat> stick it to somebody. You ever, you ever been in Oh, I can't wait to t let them know. That's not in love. And the only way we're going to build up, amen, the only way we're going to build up in edification, the only way we're going to build up and have progress and growth in the church, growing up, as it says here, 
into Him in all things. May grow up into Him, in Christ Jesus, in all things, which is the head, even Christ. The only way we're going to grow up into Him is if we have, we preached on this here, grace and truth. Not just truth, but love and grace and mercy and peace and unity. Y'all know that being right is not the main thing. But being right the right way. Being right does not excuse you from acting wrong. Amen? Can we say it that way? 1 Peter 5.10, The God of all grace who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you've suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. We need to get settled and strengthened where we are. Ephesians chapter 4, later in this chapter, here's what it says in verse number 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Well, they did something stupid. Amen. You ever done anything stupid? They said that and they were hateful. You didn't hear the way they talked to my kids. Well, whatever you're going to say, I hope it's good to the use of edifying because what you need to do is you need to show them grace. Well, why, why do you say that? Well, Ephesians 4.29. Read it. Let no corrupt communication, what? Proceed out of your mouth. It's very specific, isn't it? You know why it's so specific about the mouth? Here's the God's honest truth. Sometimes Cameron might send me a text and I think, I'd like to slap him. Amen? I'd like to slap him. But I'm not going to say that. I'm going to go, that ain't right. Somebody ever said something you want to, you want to let them know. Bless God, I'll give them a piece of my mind right here. Well, just don't let it come out of your mouth. And if it shows up on your face, go to the bathroom, you know, wash your hands for count to 30 or whatever. Some people, they've got a fuse that's this long. Some people, they've cut the fuse off and it's just a little tack sticking out there. And that's just the way we are. Some of us, that's the way we are. My fuse is pretty long. I'm a, I'm a slow burner, but once I get there, you know, I burn up. Some, a little shorter fuse, amen? Amen. My brother, no fuse. The Lord is growing his fuse. He's helping him. He's pastoring. Because you go through suffering and trials, and it'll, it'll, it'll strengthen your fuse a little bit. But it's about the communication that comes out of our mouth. I, I, I'm getting specific with you here because the Bible's specific. Y'all see that, right? What he says, what he said. Speaking the truth in love. Sometimes the truth hurts. But if you say it in love, even if it hurts a little bit, well, the reason I told them they're an idiot and I can't stand them is because I love them and they need to start acting right. No. No, that's corrupt communication. That's not showing them, that's not building up that's tearing down. And that's not showing grace unto the hearers, right? That's showing my anger unto the hearers. And I'm not going to stand here and say I've never shown my anger unto a hearer. I have. But inside the church, how come it is we're so quick to give the, the waiter, Grace, who we've never met, but our brother, who we've been in church with for 20 years, we've got no grace for them. Amen? So we're talking about building up the church. So we're talking about building up the church. Man, I can't believe they acted that way. I can't believe they said that. Well, you know what? People do things, including you, that are not so smart and that are not so well thought out. Amen, Darian? You ever do anything dumb? Yeah, you know what? He said, yeah, I have. Amen. Me too. All the time. 
And guess what? Open mouth, insert foot. And then I got to chew on that shoe leather for a minute and a lot of times go over and say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. If you would show them grace, then the grace of God might just show them how they did you wrong. Amen? 1 John 3, 14, we know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So what does that mean? It means this, very simply, and then we'll move on from this. I know you are ready. One of the proofs of your salvation is your ability to love the brethren. What does it say? We know that we have passed from death unto life. We like saying that, right? Man, we passed from death unto life. Why? How do we know that? Because we love the brethren. Now that's tough, isn't it? That it's the grace in us, the grace of God working in me that I can love even Brett. <laughs> love you, buddy. He just did this. Amen? Amen. When he's texting me before church about crazy stuff, and I'm like, Brett, what are you doing? You're crazy. I love him and his hair. Amen. And I love you. You know why? Because of God. Not because of me. Not because I'm some great guy. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm not. What I am is I'm saved. And the grace of God in me and the grace of God in you ought to be able to keep us in unity. Let me close it out here. The perfection of the building. Here's what he said in verse 16. So eloquently written. From whom, and he's speaking there at the, at the end of, of verse number 15. The end of verse 15, he said, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Ephesians chapter 2, just a couple chapters previously there in verse number 19 says this, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Very simply saying this, you which were not a people, as Peter said, now are a people. You used to be strangers and foreigners and you were not connected and you did not know one another and you did not have anything in common, but now you've been made fellow citizens in the household of God. And guess what we're in right now? God's house. And in God's house, if you're saved today, you're not just in God's house but you're of God's household. Joint heirs with Christ, the Bible says. The sons of God. And in verse 20 says this, that we're in the house of God and are built, see that? Upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief corner stone, in whom all the building, look at this, fitly framed together. That sounds a lot like what He said in Ephesians 4 and verse 16 fitly joined together, groweth into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Quickly under this thought of perfection of the building, we see the design of this building. The design is by Christ. The building is fitly framed together by Him. Verse number, uh, verse number 20 there where it tells us Jesus Christ 
is the chief cornerstone in Sunday school this morning. Y'all remember we were looking, we are talking about Jesus being the cornerstone in our class. And a cornerstone during those days was a giant, heavy stone. <clears throat> and it's much like if you were going to frame out a building today, that you've got to start somewhere, right? You've got to dig a, a post if you're building a, a shed, or you've got to start pouring foundation or footers or whatever. You've got to find out, well, where are we going to start? Well, this is the corner. And from the corner, you measure every other corner. That everything else in the design can be moved and shifted, but this cannot. This stays where it is, and that's Jesus. He is the thing we measure off of. Does that make sense? He is the launching pad, the, the, the cornerstone of the foundation of the building, and He has got to be the foundation of this building. That everything is designed by Him, everything is designed for Him. And when it says fitly framed and fitly joined together, it means that we are organized compactly and closely joined together. Amen. So let me ask you a question. If you were building a house today, or you were framing out a building, or you were doing anything like that, when you go to put the next piece on, whether it be a, a stone, or whether it be a board, or whether it be a post, or whether it be a piece of drywall, or a piece of roofing, you don't just stick it on there willy-nilly. You put it where it goes, right? And when you do, you put it in there tight, don't you? If you go to start, you frame out the house and you hire somebody to come in and do all the framing and then you go in there to hang all the drywall and the walls are doing this, you've got a problem. Don't hang the drywall. Call a new framer, okay? Amen, take my word for it. You'll thank me later. Because it needs to be fitly framed. Fitly joined. It means everything fits Everything is where it is. And by the way, you know that when, when that lumber was brought in and when that stuff was brought in, it wasn't just ready to go up right off the shelf. It had to be brought in, cut down, sanded down, ready. A lot of it's been cooked in a kiln. Amen. And then you go to hang it and you go to put it and it don't fit. You know what you got to do? You got to cut a little off, cut a little off. Y'all ready to do that? Because a master builder will make it fit. Well, they're just never going to fit in around here. Sure they can. All it takes is a master builder. Because he's the designer. Well, I'm just not like them, or I just don't see things like this. Why don't you just see things from Christ's perspective? Why don't you measure off the cornerstone? And Why don't you start looking at your life? Because here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about we just come in here, and we don't ever get fitted. We don't ever get fitted. So what does that mean? God's got somewhere He wants to put you, but if you're not letting to, let, to allow Him to maybe cut a few things off or shape this or do that to put you where you're meant to go, then you're always going to stick out. Amen? So that sounds kind of harsh. Man, there's nothing more beautiful than when God takes a bunch of strangers, foreigners, sojourners who've got no place and, and, and are different and no idea what to do, and God starts working on them, and before you know it, they click right in the place. And now they're just a part of God's building. Whereas workmanship, Ephesians 2 said this, we are His building. We're His building in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple. Then we see the direction of the building and I'm done. The building is an indwelling. That's what he said in verse 22 of that passage in Ephesians 2. He said this, in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. 
God wants to make you and God wants to make this church a place that is fit for the Holy Spirit to habitate. Does that make sense? So well, I'm saved so He lives in me. Yeah, but that don't mean that He's enjoying His time in there all the time. Amen? The Bible teaches you can take the temple of the Holy Ghost and join it unto a harlot and go places you shouldn't go and do things you shouldn't do in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can take the Holy Ghost in you, with you, doing things you shouldn't do and being where you shouldn't be. God wants to take you and He wants to mold you and build you into a habitation that is fit for His indwelling. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. It's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Worthy. But the direction of the building is not just, the purpose of it isn't just for an indwelling, but it's also for improvement. Whenever you build something, and then you build on to it, and then you build on to it, it is always for the purpose of making it better, right? You don't build on to your house because you'd really like to make it a little worse. Because you'd like a bigger bathroom, or a better this, or a better that, or a better garage, or a better this, or you know whatever it may be. You add on, you add on this, you add on that, you add on this, you add on that, and you add on this, and you add on that. And that is the way that this building is supposed to be. Constantly getting better, improving. Internally with the Lord working on us as Christians, and externally and physically with growth, bringing in more people. How? By being His workmen. Are you all still with me? I'm done right here. The problem is when the materials are not willing to let the builder mold them into the building. Are you being molded to fit into this building? Or are you resisting the molding hands of the master builder, content with being outside of his shape and design for your life? Brother Tony Shirley, my uncle, preached at our men's conference earlier in October, and when he did, he said, he was talking about contentment, he said we should always be content with what the Lord has given us in our life, but we should never be content with where we are in our walk with God. We should always want more of Him and to do more for Him and to never be contented where we are. You know what I'm afraid of? We walk in here on Sunday morning, we get our hour and a half of church, and then we go back, back about the things that really matter to us. We take a little time out, we get a little feel good, check the box, and then go on about our lives. When God wants to take you and He wants to mold you and fit you in and then take that building and use you to build more. To build more and to build more through personal evangelism, through prayer, through getting involved in the ministry, whether it's the music ministry or the, the, uh, the technology ministry or, or whether it's the, the going out and knocking doors ministry or whether it's the youth ministry or the bus ministry, that God wants to use you to do His work. That's what He does. He uses men and women as vessels. That's what He does. We are His building. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So then... Neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. How many times we've heard that over the last few weeks? Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Look at this. Ye are God's build, uh, husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon, thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And what is 
the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's the Word of God. It's salvation by grace through faith. It is the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel unto every creature. We're His building. He's still working on me. But are you letting Him work on you? This morning, when the Lord speaks to you through preaching, and He says, you've got this sin in your life, you need to get with it. Do you answer? Or do you push away the hands of the builder? Do you allow Him to make you... You say, well, I just don't fit in. He can fix that. I just don't get along with this one, or I, I, just, don't, I just don't fit into this ministry. Or I just... Why don't you let Him take you and change you? Amen. And grow you into His work. You'd be amazed what He can do. Let's all stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.